Well, let's start off with prayer, and I'll tell you why in just a minute, but let's start off. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, thank you, Lord, for this beautiful weekend, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for everyone who's here, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your beautiful word. Uh, And we just pray, Lord, today that we would hear from you, Lord, that you would open up your word to us, that we would have hearts to receive what you have to say to us. And we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So the title of today's message is How to Hear from God in 132 Easy Steps. And I want you to know that it's not my fault. It's not my fault. Because I had, and the key word here is had, I had already written the perfect message. I already had it all laid out. It was written, and I've written a lot of messages, but I can tell you this one was perfect. It was perfect. Honestly, it was called the game of life. I know. I I know. See? I know. And you don't even have to say anything because I know it's perfect because even as I said that, I don't know if you noticed this, but all of you sort of leaned forward like, oh, tell us more because it was perfect. It had the perfect title, The Game of Life. See, you just did it again. You didn't even know it. Like It was perfect. It had visual aids, plural, not one, but two. See, on this side, I was going to have the actual board game, the box, The Game of Life. I know. I I know. It's perfect. See, and then over on this side, I was going to have the actual board game. You know, the one with the spinny plastic wheel? That was going to be on this side. I know. It's perfect, isn't it? The game of life. And then I had a biblical passage. I know. Yeah. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking bonus, right? Bonus, right? Always good to add to a sermon is a biblical passage. And then I had a video. I know. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Pete, you never have videos. I know. I don't even like videos. But I had a video. It was the 1960 commercial, the introductory commercial for the game of life. Uh, Perfect. Perfect. And then, to top it all off, I had on your handout a game within a game. I had the game of life on your handout so that as I gave my message, you could play the game of life. How perfect. Perfect. It's perfect. So then after I wrote it all, then I went to God and I said, so this is what you want me to preach, right? Because that's usually the order that I like to do things in. (laughs) See, I like to go to Bangkok and then say, so you want me to be a missionary here, right? So I said, so this is what you want me to preach on. And he said, no. And I said, like all of you are thinking now, I said, what? And probably he misunderstood me, so I went back and I said, so this is what you want me to preach on. And he said, no. And I said, why? It's perfect. No, it's perfect. I know it's perfect. I know it. It's got a catchy title. It's got visual aids. It's got the video. It's got the game. It's it's perfect. Why? But God said no. He said no. He said, because today, today... Everyone here, including me, needs to hear something else from me. They need to hear a different message. And it all encompasses around one thing, that we all want to hear from God. I want to hear from God. We all want to hear from God. I want direction. I want wisdom. I want guidance. I want to hear from God. How about you? So I did my research, I did my study, and I found the 132 steps to hearing from God. 
And if you're wondering why 132, because I've studied it. I've studied it, and I found 132 steps. So that's what I'd like to share with you today. But before we begin, we need to figure out where we are. Before you get those 132 steps, and I've left plenty of room on the back of your handout to write down the 132 <laughs> steps. Plenty of room. Yeah, yeah. you were looking, weren't you? Yeah. They're on the, yeah, they'll be on the back. There's plenty of room back there to write them down. Before we get there, though, we need to figure out where we are before we can figure out what the 132 steps are. Okay? So here's where we are. Now, before we get here, understand this. Where we are today, today, is the same place that we were two or 3,000 years ago. Humans really haven't changed. Mankind, we really haven't changed much. The Bible hasn't changed, and neither have we. We're in the same place we were two or 3,000 years ago. So let's start with this. We're going to start in the book of Habakkuk. And it's on your handout if you don't want to try to find it in your Bible. It's on the screen behind me, I think, I hope. There we go. It's on the screen behind me. But if you want to find it in your Bible, start in the New Testament and go to the left, five books, and you will find that's where Habakkuk hangs out. So we're going to start in chapter 1 of the book of Habakkuk. We're going to start in verse 2, because all verse 1 really tells us is, this is the burden, this is the weight that is on this prophet named Habakkuk. So this is what he said, starting in verse 2. He says, How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. I cry out to you, God, and you don't hear me. You don't hear me. I shout at you and I say there's violence and you don't lift a finger to stop it. I look around and I see sin everywhere. I see wicked people and I see wicked things. I don't get it. I see destruction. I just see destruction of marriages. I see destructions of lives. I see destruction in homes, in schools, in neighborhoods, in towns. I see destruction. And I see turbulence and terrorism and disorder and controversy and dissension and rivalry. I feel the pressure of this world coming down on me. And I see injustice. Oh yeah, we have courts and laws and rules and regulations, but somehow justice comes out twisted and perverted. Maybe you can relate to what Habakkuk says. I sure can. But see, for Habakkuk and for us, it all boils down to one thing, and this is the first fill-in on your handout. We ask God why. Why? We ask God why or how or where or who or what. And the worst part of all of it, we think we're alone when we ask. See, we think it's just Habakkuk and us that feels like this. You are not alone. Here's a couple of examples. In Ruth chapter 1, beginning with verse 19, Naomi asked God why. It reads like this. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means embittered. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, 
but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why? Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? I left this place with everything, she says. I left with hope. And I'm coming back empty with nothing. Why, God? We ask God why. You think you're alone? Look at Job chapter 3, verse 11. He says, why did I not die at birth, come out of the womb, and just expire? I'm a good, righteous, and decent man. I work hard for my family. I was blessed, and I knew I was blessed. And yet somehow, for some reason, I've lost everything. Everything except a nagging wife. True. If you don't read, believe me, read Job. Why? We ask God why. You think you're alone, King David? I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? You think you're alone? I could go around this room, and I'll bet you to the person, everybody here has asked God why. Probably very recently. I'll speak personally this week alone, and not a work-related thing this time, which is usually what I talk about when I'm up here, but a personal thing. I ask God not only why, but how and who and what and where and when. Why did this happen? How could I have stopped it? When did it start? Who can I turn to? Where can I go? We ask God why all the time. So who can we turn to? Well, luckily for you and me and Habakkuk and Naomi and Job and David, God speaks. I know you don't hear him yet because you don't know the 132 steps to hearing from God. <laughs> but you will very shortly. God speaks. And here's what God said to Habakkuk in the following verse. He said, look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe it even if you were told. We ask God why, and this is the second fill-in in your handout. God makes a promise. We ask God why, and God makes a promise. Okay, Habakkuk, says the Lord, take a look around, watch closely. You're going to be utterly amazed at what I'm going to do. I'm not going to tell you what it is, because you wouldn't believe me even if I told you. But watch, be careful. I'm going to utterly amaze you at what I'm going to do. We ask God why. And God makes a promise. One of my favorite stories of George Bush, the president, when he was vice president, he did as most presidents do, or vice presidents do. He went out and he went to all the funerals, the state funerals. So he went to Russia and he went to the state funeral of Brezhnev. And he told a story when he came back about Brezhnev's widow. He said she stood motionless by the coffin until seconds before it was closed. Then, just as the soldiers touched the lid... Brezhnev's wife performed an act of great courage and hope, a gesture that must surely rank as one of the greatest among all civil, civil disobedience ever committed. In the midst of the funeral for the head of state of the Soviet Union, she reached down and made the sign of the cross on her husband's chest. In the center of atheistic power and control, the wife of the man who had run it all hoped her husband was wrong. In the middle of all of that, she heard God's still, small voice make a promise. And we want to hear that promise, too. But how? Don't worry, we'll get there. There's 132 easy steps. 
But here's the second part of where we stand. Genesis 18, beginning with verse 9. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, there in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I have become old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also. See, here's the next fill on your handout. We think it's impossible. We think it can't happen. We think it's against all logic. Or worse yet, and please listen to this, we think we don't deserve it. And we think we're alone. Just us and Sarah and Abraham. We're not alone. Look at Daniel in chapter 6. The king gives orders to put Daniel in the lion's den overnight. Verse 17, a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet ring of his nobles, so that nothing would be changed in regards to Daniel. He was no different than anybody else who had ever been thrown in there overnight with the lions. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. No way Daniel can survive. Impossible. You think you're alone? Mark 5:35. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? She's dead. It's impossible. You think you're alone? I can go around this room and I can find people who have faced impossible situations. And yet somehow they made it through. You're not alone. Luckily for you and me and Daniel and the synagogue leader, God speaks. I know, you don't hear from him yet, but hang on. We're not far from the 132 steps to hearing from God. Here's what was spoken to Abraham and Sarah in the very next verse. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I am also so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year. And Sarah will have a son. In the midst of our situation, and this is your next fill-in, God asks us to believe. We think it's impossible, and God asks us to believe. We ask God why, and he makes a promise. We think it's impossible, and he asks us to believe. And that's hard to believe in a world that doesn't want us to believe. I don't know if you heard it this week, but our famous local celebrity, now national celebrity, Bill Nye, the science guy, said this to all of us adults. He said, if you want to believe this first part of the Bible that says God created the heavens and the earth, if you want to live in that fantasy world that's not like this world, if you want to do that, go ahead, but don't teach your children. And I'm not misquoting him. Go, you can go out on YouTube and you can see him say it. He says, don't believe that. It's not real. But God is asking us to believe. Just believe. This is what Max Lucado wrote. I love this. Jesus, lips cracked and mouth of cotton, throat so dry he couldn't swallow, and voice so hoarse he could scarcely speak. He's thirsty. 
to find the last time moisture touched his lips. You'd need to rewind a dozen hours to the meal in the upper room. Since tasting that cup of wine, Jesus has been beaten, spat upon, bruised, and cut. He's been a cross carrier and a sin bearer, and no liquid has salved his throat. He's thirsty. Why doesn't he do something about it? Couldn't he? Did he not cause jugs of water to become jugs of wine? Didn't he make the wall out of the Jordan River and two walls out of the Red Sea? Didn't he with one word banish the rain and calm the waves? Doesn't the scripture say that he turned the desert into pools? Why? And why did he grow thirsty on the cross? He didn't have to suffer thirst, at least not to the level he did. Six hours earlier, they'd offered him something to drink, but he refused. He refused to be stupefied by the drugs and the drink, opting instead to feel the force, the full force of the suffering. Why? Why did he endure these feelings? Because he knew you would feel them too. He knew you would be weary, disturbed, and angry. He knew you'd be sleepy, grief-stricken, and hungry. He knew you would face pain, if not physical pain, at least the pain of the soul, pain too sharp for any drug. He knew you would face thirst, if not a thirst for water, at least a thirst for the truth. And the thirst we glean from the image of a thirsty Christ is he understands. And because he understands, we can come to him. We think it's impossible, and God asks us to believe. But how? How can I believe from God when I don't hear from God? We're almost there. We're just moments away from revealing the 132 steps to hearing from God. But first, our last issue, Second Kings chapter 4. Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. We ask God why we think it's impossible. And the third one is, we think we're finished. We think we're finished. We think we're done. We think we are out of options. And we think we're alone. You think you're alone? What about the same Elisha in 2 Kings 6, surrounded by a massive army? Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots were circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, master, what shall we do? We're finished. We're out of options. We're surrounded. What about Moses? The entire Egyptian army had them pinned against the Red Sea. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better, have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And I know I could go around this room, and I know people who have faced the impossible situation, and God has brought them through. You're not alone. Luckily for me and you and Elisha, God speaks. I know, not yet, but we're real close now to the 132 reasons. We're only seconds away. So here's what was spoken in the very next verse. Then he said, go, Elisha said to the widow woman, go, borrow vessels at large for yourself 
from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you, you and your sons, and pour out into all these vessels, and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her two sons, and they were bringing the vessels to her, and she poured. We think we're finished. And the next one is, God asks us to take a step of faith. Take a step of faith. Why did Elisha tell her to do this? How come he just didn't give her jars full of oil? He could have done that. How come he just didn't give it to her? She was in need. Why? Because God wanted her to take a step of faith. She had to go to her neighbors. Do you think that was embarrassing? Do you think that was scary and frightening? I've got to take this step of faith that makes no sense. You ever do that? I don't know about you, but sometimes when I, when I say, I'm going to pray for you, I walk away and then I worry a little bit. What if my prayers don't get answered? It's frightening. But God asks us to take a step of faith. What's faith? God tells us it's the substance of things hoped for. So take a step of faith in the direction of your hope. That's what I'm telling you today. Take a step of faith in the direction of your hope. Not a giant leap. That's reserved for senior pastor. No, not really. Not a giant leap. Not today. God's not asking you to take a giant leap today. He will someday, maybe, but not today. Just take a step. A step of faith. Here's an example. There's a Campus Crusade for Christ ministry called the Jesus Film Project. And they take this film about the book of Luke and they translate it into thousands of languages, literally thousands of languages. And they take it all around the world and they show it to people in these remote sections. And the, and the executive director of it tells the story of when they were in a, a Muslim nation, a remote region that had hardly been touched by the good news. This is what he says. He says a Jesus film team was driving to a film showing site in a Muslim nation, a remote region that had hardly been touched by the good news. It was a restricted area with many hazards for those who would dare to share their faith openly. As the team drove along, they prayed that God would go before them and open doors of opportunity and lead them to safety. Just before they arrived at the village, a policeman flagged down their car. It seemed that an Islamic teacher needed a ride. The officer made the introductions and asked if they could take him along. Feeling it was an acceptable and necessary risk, they agreed and offered a ride and continued towards the town. You can imagine the anxiety the team must have felt when this highly respected Islamic teacher asked them, Tell me, are you the ones planning to tell people about God? And trusting themselves to the Lord and taking a step of faith, they responded, Yes. Yes, we are. Apprehension turned to astonishment as they listened to what the teacher said next. The teacher told the team that he had experienced a unique dream. I was told to come to this spot in the road at this time, and I would encounter someone who would tell me about God. It must be you. God asks us to take a step of faith. So that's our current state. That's where we stand. And now are you ready for the 132 steps to hearing from God? And as I say that, Pastor Dan looks at his watch nervously. 
because he's not sure I can fit this in. Well, I hope you're not ready for your 132 steps from hearing from God, because I don't have 132 steps from hearing from God. I know. Are there 132 steps from hearing from God? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there are. But here's what I do know. God did not want you to hear the perfect sermon today. He didn't. He just wanted to answer one question for you. And this is the last thing on your handout. You want to hear from God today? Here's God's answer. You ready to write this down? The answer is no. No. Now, don't walk out of here thinking God never speaks. I'm just telling you what God wanted me to share with you today. You want to hear from God today? No. No. We ask God why, and God gives us a promise. We think it's impossible, and God asks us to believe. We think we're done for, finished, and God asks us to take a step of faith. You want to hear from God? No. Not today, says God. Today, you're just going to have to trust me. You're just going to have to trust me. Today, you're going to have to accept my promises. Today, you're going to need to believe my word. Today, you need to take a step of faith. Because when you do, says God, when you, in the middle of your storm, when you're in the middle of your struggle that's gone on way too long, and we all know it's gone on way too long, when you do all that in the middle of all that, then people are going to start asking you questions. Questions like, why are you so at peace in the middle of your situation? Where do you find such strength and such grace and such mercy and such hope? How are you able to handle the weight that is on your shoulders? Who is this God who loves you? How can I know him too? See, now it's no longer about you or about me. Now the glory goes to God. Now it doesn't matter if you know the 132 steps to hearing from God, or even if there are 132 steps from hearing from God. Now it doesn't matter because God's already spoken. You want to hear God speak? No, he says, not today. He says, I've already spoken. And my word stands. Today, you're just going to have to trust me. Will you do that? Let me call the worship team back up as I just finished with this. I know asking you to trust God is difficult right now. I know that's hard. But I want you to know something. If you find it difficult to trust God right now, I want to pray with you after service. Pastor Dan will be here. Pastor Randy will be here. There will be other people up here. If you want prayer after service, if you want to take that step of faith, if you want to learn to believe when you're not hearing from God right now, I want to pray with you about that. Will you do that? Trust God.